Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 21. 2 Samuel chapter 21. And although I've shared this other with you before, uh, when you find 2 Samuel chapter 21, I want you to turn over for just a moment to Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38. Not because it's part of the message, but it could be for some people. Uh, Job chapter 38. Now, you remember everything's taken place in Job. He lost his family. All ten of his kids died. He lost all of his possessions. He lost his health. His wife has just lost it. She's told him to curse God and die. And I don't find fault with her about that. I mean, after all, here's her husband sick. He's about to die. She's lost everything, too. And I know a lot of people that have been in pretty rough shape losing a whole lot less than what, uh, what Mrs. Job had lost. And by the way, when Job speaks up, he says to her, you speak like one of the foolish women. In other words, that wasn't like her. That's not how she normally talked. And we don't find God rebuking her. Isn't that interesting? But then his three friends come along and they've got the answer to the problem. The answer is, Job, you're a hypocrite. And so Job spends the rest of his time justifying himself instead of justifying God. Now, here's what I want you to see. With all that he suffered, all that he went through, we don't know how long that it took. Elihu comes on the scene, and Elihu makes one of the best statements in the book of Job, and that is great men are not always wise. Doesn't mean they're not great, but they're not always wise. The three friends missed it, and even Job missed it in some places. Now God comes on the scene. And God, after rebuking the three friends, turns on Job. Now, think about all that Job has gone through. Most of us would think that God would start out by saying, Job, I know you've had it tough. Man, you lost your kids. You lost your health. Things have gone crazy. You've lost everything, Job. I know you've had it tough. I don't want to pour it on you. But that's not what God says. Notice in verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Man, he starts right out on him. He's getting after him. Let me tell you something. I believe one of the things he's telling us here. No matter how tough you've had it, you're still responsible to do right. And you're still responsible to speak right. There is no good excuse to not be right. Now, if I'd have said that, Job would have left my church. You understand? I know. He's not understanding, he's not kind. He's not loving. Oh, but God said it. By the way, if Dr. Phil had said it, everybody would think, hey, isn't he wonderful? Let's have a TV show. But the God who is love said it. Because the God who is love is also holy and right. And he still expects of us to be right. If we could learn that lesson, God's people aren't to be a woke society. It is a society of light. That's us. All right, now let's get to the message. Over to 2 Samuel chapter 21. That was extra, that was free, just in case I don't hit you with the message. You got that. 
Notice beginning in verse 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel, and David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. And Ishbibinab, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, now you remember Zeruiah was David's sister. Asahel, Joab, and Abishai were the sons of Zeruiah. It used to be when I would read through all the problems that David had with Joab and how many times he said, oh, you sons of Zeruiah. You wonder why he couldn't get rid of uh, Joab as his general because that meant messing with family. That was his nephew. And for some reason, David didn't want to face his sister. I'm just saying. Anyway, but Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out, uh, no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gold. Then Shebekai, the Hushethite, slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. And there, were, there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines, where Elhanan, the son of Jair Orahim, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was yet a battle in Gath, where was a man of great stature, that had on every hand six fingers and on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. And he also was born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemiah, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. I want to preach tonight on lessons on fighting giants. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I pray the Spirit of God would do a work on our hearts. How many times we read, quit you like men, be strong. Be strong and be not afraid. Dear God, help us to be strong. We live in an evil day. We live in a wicked day. And troubles abound on every hand. Help us to represent our God as you would have us represent you in righteousness and in strength and in might and power. And Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now today, if we were talking about giants, most people would think of the NBA. I, I looked up some things about this matter of giants. You know, in Israel's time, you had King Saul at the time of his reigning, the first king of Israel. We find that he stood head and shoulders above every man in Israel. He was a tall guy, probably somewhere in the seven and a half foot range uh, somewhere like that. I mean, it was really kind of funny for him before he gets killed in the battle with the Philistines. You remember he went to the witch of Endor and he thought to disguise himself. Now, wait, there was nobody in the entire country that stood as tall as Saul. Did he come in walking on his knees? 
But I'm going to tell you what, that's what sin will do to you. Sin will make you do some really stupid things. Anyway, but that was Saul. Goliath, of course, the most famous giant in the Bible, they tell us stood another two to four feet above Saul, which would make him anywhere from nine to 11 feet tall. Now that is one tall dude. And you remember it's because of the children of the Anak who were great and strong, according to Numbers chapter 13, when the 12 spies went into the land and they came back and they gave testimony that the land was exactly like God said. But they said, those, the sons of Anak, we are grasshoppers in their sight. We can't beat them. And basically what they were saying is God can't beat them. We're going to die if we stay here and fight these people. So they didn't take them out. Could have saved Israel a lot of problems if they just believed God and gone on in. Now, to put it into perspective, the tallest player uh, in uh, the NBA was Yao Ming, seven feet, eight inches tall. I had to be miserable to get on a plane. Think about that. Seven feet, eight inches tall. And then there was a Romanian, George Mirasak, who stood seven feet, seven inches tall. In 2019, 26 players in the NBA were listed at seven feet, three inches tall. I remember when Will Chamberlain first came on the scene. I think he was the first seven-footer. At least he was the first seven-footer that did anything in the NBA. That's of note. Now, the tallest guy in the world today is a man by the name of Sultan Kassan. He stands eight feet, 2.8 inches tall. Now, the tallest in modern recorded history was a guy by the name of Robert Wadlow, who was born in the 1800s, and he went all the way up to eight feet, 11 inches tall. He couldn't stand straight up at my house. Think about that. Misery. Of course, he only lived to 22, and then he died. Probably the most famous of the giants was Andre the Giant, the wrestler. But he only stood 7 feet 4 inches tall and weighed 540 pounds. And anybody could have easily outrun him. He didn't move real fast. And I'm going to tell you, if I was scheduled to wrestle him, he'd have had to move fast to get a hand on me because I'd be out of there quick. Now, in the story that we read, of course, there were several giants beside Goliath. We read about them here. He had brothers. He also had sons, according to what the story tells us. And they give us some lessons about defeating giants in our lives, and we learn a number of different things about them. For instance, these, the giants that come in our life, what they seem to do, what they seek to do, is to intimidate the people of God. They insult the character of God, and they try to impede the work of God. They stand as a hindrance to the people of God. That's what the giants in our lives do. They get a sidetracked. We get off, whatever the giant may be. And these giants, uh, it may be a sin problem. It might be a, some sentiment. For instance, being influenced by family has got to be one of the most difficult giants. Do you remember what Jesus said about being a disciple? Turn over to chapter 14 of the book of Luke. And there is a reason that Jesus mentions this first of all when it comes to being a disciple of our Lord. 
He says in verse 26 of Luke chapter 14, he says, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That closest of family relationships, sometimes that's a draw, especially when you start talking about children or grandchildren or spouses or parents. That is a close relationship, and sometimes that gets pretty tough. But you look what Jesus said here, for disciples of Christ, you've got to have that part under control. You have to be at the place where it's Jesus first, not family first. It is Jesus first. I think one of the big problems that's come about in the church in the last 30 years is that there has been a tremendous emphasis on the home to where the home is most important. So people started concentrating on the home, and we ended up losing our homes. Divorce is rampant even in Christian circles today. Problems in the homes are tremendous. There's so many of them, and I believe the problem is because we put the home first instead of Jesus first. You understand that in Ephesians chapter 5, where he gives that famous uh, the famous passage it seems to be dealing with the home, but he tells us, he says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. That passage is about the relationship between Christ and the church of which the husband and wife relationship is simply a picture. Now, I've got pictures of my children. I got pictures of my wife. But I'm going to tell you what, if the house was burning down, I'd get them out before I'd worry about the pictures. Because the pictures are not near as important as the real thing. The relationship with Christ must come first. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So our giants may be a sin, may be some service, it may be some sentiment. Uh, Like Demas, having loved this present world, It might be some situation which you see yourself as paying a great price for just doing right. And by the way, as a believer, there will be times that to do right, it's going to cost you. May even cost you your life to do right. But you take a look at church history and a whole lot of the Christian martyrs lost their lives, had their families even tortured, because they did right and kept their testimony right with the Lord Jesus Christ. There are giants. And you may have several different ones to face throughout your life. Now, the giants mentioned here give us some important lessons to understand about our giants. And I want you to learn these lessons, get them. Number one, not all giants are killed in one battle. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, you find uh, 1 Samuel Samuel chapter 17, you have David killing Goliath. It's a tremendous story. He's just a youth. And here is David killing Goliath. But he wasn't the only giant. There were more. Now, I know some people, they like to think that when David stopped by the brook and picked up five stones, that he did that for Goliath's brothers. No, I think he picked up five stones It's just like in my gun. I don't just put one bullet in my gun. Somebody breaks in, I want it full. You don't know who else is coming in. So you just come fully armed. He went in fully armed. 
far as we know, he only used one of the pellets. I mean, there, none of Goliath's brothers came down there. It was just Goliath. And so he comes down, he's ready for it and all that. But when he won the victory over Goliath, that did not, that was not going to be his last battle with the giant. We read about one here where he was faint and dealing with the next giant that came along. What giants you may have to fight, remember Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 when he says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about, also compassed about, with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. There are sins that beset us and they can be giants, but there are also weights that beset us. Things that are not necessarily sinful in and of themselves, but they are things that keep us from serving God to the fullest. It might be a hobby. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a hobby. Depends on what the hobby is, first of all. Secondly, it depends on whether or not you let the hobby get in the way of you serving the Lord. If it gets in the way of you serving the Lord, then you got a problem. That's becoming a giant in your life, and you better get victory over that giant. I remember early on as God was dealing with my heart, my Christian life about living for the Lord. As I grew, I noticed I got to spending more and more time and more and more evenings at the church, whether it be for visitation or other things that were going on. And uh, now I liked to bowl. I enjoyed bowling. It was fun. My whole family uh, were bowlers. My brother was a better bowler than I was. My brother Earl I, he he uh, bowled on the Marine bowling team at one time, had an average, I think, of 206 per game. Uh, my best season, I averaged 196 per game, but I, I loved it. I bowled in a non-handicapped league because if someone was going to beat me, I didn't want them to beat me by getting some free pins that they didn't earn. I, I just, I, I was a purist, you know what I mean? Like I'm a pur- not like I'm a purist in golf. You say, don't you follow the rules? I follow our rules. <laughs> Brother Reese, that's true. We follow our rules. I figure if everybody's playing by the same rules, it's okay. Come on now, agree with me there. Or don't, I don't care. We're going to do what we're going to do. But, but I had to come to the place where, you know, Bowling in a league meant I had to take one full evening a week to go and bowl. It wasn't the cost of the bowling. Bowling was relatively cheap back then. It's expensive today. It was cheap back then, and I loved doing it. I loved bowling on the team. I loved the camaraderie. I loved all of that. But I finally just had to come to the place where I just set it aside and said, you know, serving the Lord's more important right now. The Lord took care of my bowling ball back in 1979 when we had a fire that burned up our house. And the bowling ball was in the closet. I remember going into the house that had burned up and down, up or down, depending on how you look at it. And when I opened up the closet door where the bowling ball was at, I noticed that some of the clothes that were in the closet had melted down onto the bowling bag. And I thought, well, hey, maybe it survived. And so I pulled the clothes away and the bag had also melted and I had a zipper from the bag that was melted into the ball. (laughs) So that was the end of that. By the way, I had a pair of the coolest two-tone bowling shoes. They were wingtips. 
They were sharp. But they were ruined in the fire. Took care of my bowling then. You know, I was hoping someday to pick it up. Never did pick it up after that. Uh, just couldn't do it. Anyway, uh, but don't think the victory over one giant ends your giant battles. There's going to be more. Not all giants are killed in one battle. You may come forward, for instance, after God's been dealing with your heart about something in your life or in your home, in your family, whatever, and you come forward, man, you get victory over it, you get everything's good, and then God deals with you on the next night about something else. You better get that taken care of too. I mean, if that giant's there, don't you walk off with him still walking around. You need to get victory that night. We'd save ourselves a lot of problem if we'd take care of these things every time God dealt with our heart. Otherwise, he seems to come back stronger and it gets worse. You know, David lost to his biggest giant. His biggest giant wasn't Goliath. His biggest giant was his own lust. He lost to his biggest giant and it cost him. It cost him Amnon, cost him the purity of his daughter Tamar. It cost him Absalom. It made his home and his reign a mess for a while. He went... 12 to 18 months, not right with God because of that giant. Goliath couldn't do near as much to Samson or to David as what, uh, as what his own lust had done. Terrible thing. So number one, not all giants are killed in one battle. Number two, not all giants use the same tactics. If you read the stories here, you see that it all came about somewhat differently. It appears that Ishbibanab kind of stepped up quickly to blindside David, but Abishai stepped in and rescued David in this thing. They don't always come the same way. Some giants come out of left field that you never saw coming. You remember the Amalekites, Amalek, back in chapter 17 of the book of Exodus. They had been following Israel around and picking off some of the stragglers and those that were on the outskirts of the group that were coming up toward the Holy Land. And as a result, God ended up putting a curse on those very people uh, because of what they had done. Their tactics were different than some of the others like the Moabites who came out to actually fight Israel head on. And the truth is, not all giants use the same tactics, but we're to be sober, to be vigilant, for our adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You keep yourself as close to the Lord and right with God as you can, and when those giants seem to come out of left field, you didn't see them coming, you'll be ready for them because your heart will be right with God in order to deal with them. Everything just doesn't happen exactly the same way. You know, it's interesting as you study the scripture that when Jesus healed people, he didn't heal them all the same way. There's one that he, he spit and put the spittle on their tongue. There's another that he, he, he spit under some dirt and he made some clay and he put it on the eyes of the blind man. He did things differently and some he just spoke. And it was so. So the victories also don't always come exactly the same way. I remember many years ago in the ministry, we had a deacon's wife. I get a call one day. And this is a good couple, good family in the church. I, I would have thought that they were probably one of the most godly families in the church. And I got a call and found out that the wife had left her husband. I, I was stunned. I mean, I never would have thought, not this family, wouldn't happen. Well, I found out later on that she had left him three times before. 
Which made me wonder, why is he a deacon? But now that wasn't the issue. What was my job? My job was try to get them back together. That was a giant. Takes a little while. That just doesn't, you just don't get them back together overnight. You have to work on it. You take time. You do it. It's, that can become a real giant that has an impact on the church. And a lot of just the ministry for any pastor is helping people with giants that are in their life. Let me give you a third thing. Not all giants are killed the same way. As we read the story here of the giants, you got Abishai killing one. You've got uh, Ishbibinab uh, being killed in a, in a different way. You've got Elhanan, the son of Jerorahim, the Bethlehemite. He slew the brother of Goliath, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. They're just not all killed the same way. You notice none of those, none of the ones mentioned here, were killed like Goliath was with the pebble. They're killed somewhat different. But it's got to be for the Lord. David used a sling. Others used spears and swords. But the truth is always mandatory. In other words, we are a people to stand by the truth of God's word. The Bible says, Cursed be he that doeth the work of God deceitfully. We don't have to deceive to get victories over the giants. We need to stand for truth. Jesus said, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, God's word is very plain. We stand for truth. You say, but if I do it that way, it won't work. Now, if you are not committed to the truth of God's word, you don't have a chance of winning. Because that is your greatest weapon. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Man, you need the word of God. Do it. Use it right. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The truth. What a weapon we have in the truth. For some, it'll be getting rid of some things in your life. For others, it may be a recommitment. For others, it'll be confessing and forsaking sin. But whatever the giant is, you say, well, preacher, I did wrong. What do I do now? Well, if, if, you, if we confess it publicly and get it right, everyone will know about it. Won't that hurt the cause of Christ? No, it never hurts the cause of Christ to do right. I think it's interesting that with a man taken in adultery with his father's wife in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, God even put it in the scripture to tell everybody that had ever read the word of God. Him making it public and telling them, remember, it's the Holy Spirit that moved upon Paul to write to turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. I know of places where some kids of top people in the church, including pastor's kids, where they got into terrible sin and everybody tried to cover it up. Man, that's not the time to cover it up. That's the time to get it right. Everybody already knows about it anyway. And it only hurts the cause of Christ to let them get by without there being some kind of discipline. Let me give you a fourth thing. Not all giants 
are killed by the same person. You'll notice we find David here, Abishai, Sibachai the Hushite, Elhanan the Bethlehemite, and Jonathan the son of Shemiah, David's brother. Now, there are some guys that want to kill all the giants themselves. I don't know if they want the credit for it. They think that they know everything about everybody else's giants. And uh, no, that's not the case. I don't know about you, but I'm not really crazy about just looking for giants out there. I mean, enough of them are going to come across our path anyway. But we want to stand up. We want to fight it right. And sometimes, like for instance, when Abishai came on the scene, David was faint. He was about to be taken out by the giant. He needed help. Abishai stepped up to help. But I want you to get this. He was a warrior, Abishai was, not a gossip. If you're needing help with a giant, you don't pick your best friend who's just going to, you know, stroke your back and say, oh, you really don't deserve this uh, and just commiserate with you. You need a warrior that can help you through the battle with the giant. A lot of times that's not going to be your best friend. You need someone to stand for the truth that can look above the situation from God's point of view in the word of God. Here's another one. I want you to get this. Not everyone, not everybody faces the same giant. David faced Goliath. Nobody else did. That was David. Now, we find Abishai coming in, stepping in and, and uh, taking care of David because he waxed faint. But we, that's the only one that Abishai took out. When you look at the other names, Elhanan the Bethlehemite, he took out another one. Jonathan, the son of Shemiah, he took out another one. The point is this, not everybody faces the same giant. Now, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, he says, uh, well, let's see, I need to turn to it. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Well, first of all, in verse 12, he says, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Then he says, for there had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Now, here's the great thing about every giant. You're not going to face any giants that somebody else hasn't already faced. Other people have faced similar giants, but that doesn't mean they have faced the same giant. It's interesting. If I was to mention cancer, for instance, you say, well, I know about that, man. I had cancer. Okay. That doesn't mean you had the same kind of cancer. That didn't mean it was at the same stage. And besides that, your body's a little bit different. You might handle the cure a little bit differently than somebody else does. It's different. When somebody comes along and says, oh, you lost, you, you lost a parent. You lost your dad. Well, you know, I lost mine. I know how you feel. No, you don't. I'll guarantee you that your relationship with your, with your dad was different than my relationship with my dad. I mean, some people, you lived, you spent a lot of time with your, with your parent, and it might have been the last years of their life, you even took care of them. And that drew you a little bit closer, but that's different if someone didn't spend hardly any time with their parent. In other words, everybody's situation is just a little bit different. Some of you remember back in 2019, it's hard to believe it's been that long, but in June of 2019, when they sprayed the cotton field across from my house, Two days later, I started having those respiratory problems. Now, it's perhaps the Lord had that take place. Perhaps the Lord had that take place 
so that when COVID would come along, I would already be doing something that would help me. But you know, Brother Papa, one of the things that every preacher has to go through, whenever they have a physical problem, everybody else knows exactly what it is. Oh, well, my, my, aunt, uh, my aunt had the very same thing. You don't know it was the same thing. Well, yeah, she coughed just like you did. Well, coughing is a symptom of how many different things? Not just respiratory. And then they not only, they not only know, or they've had it themselves, and this is what they tried and it worked for them. But they don't know it was the same thing. And if I do what you said to do, by the way, it's a wonder that more pastors don't live shorter lives. If they take all the medicines that has been recommended to them by church members, there's no way they could live long. No way. I went to a pulmonologist here in Huntsville. Went there several times. Didn't get a bit better. As many of you remember, I just kept getting worse and worse. And then I got some good advice from people. Why don't you get in? And I put it off for a while. Why don't you go to the Mayo Clinic? Why don't you go to Vanderbilt? Why don't you go to UAB? Just go someplace that knows what they're doing. Well, I tried Vanderbilt, and uh, man, it was going to be like six months before I could get in. I tried UAB. It was going to be like four months before I could get in. But then somebody gave me a real good piece of advice. Call every day and ask if they've had a cancellation. And after about a week of calling every day, we have a cancellation. Can you come in tomorrow first thing? Yes, I can come in tomorrow. That was two weeks before COVID hit. I believe that God changed that date so I could get in before COVID hit because that doctor put me on the right track. By the way, it's Dr. Hassan down in, uh, down in UAB, in case anybody wants him. Of course, you won't have the same thing that I had. So, But I'm sure, I'm sure he just doesn't specialize in what I had. But anyway... <laughs> did a great job that's the thing see about the giants in everybody's life it's going to be a little bit different but there are some things that are the same I have battles and I know many other people that have battles as well but your battles are probably going to be the same for instance there's a couple of things that I've just never had a battle with doesn't mean I'm not going to have a battle with it next year, but I've never had a battle with smoking. I've never had a battle with drinking alcohol. Now, for those of you who've had to suffer through either one of those things, nothing easy about it. My dad used to say, oh, I can quit smoking anytime I want it. I've done it a thousand times. That's what my dad used to say, but he couldn't quit anytime he wanted. And that was part of the problem. Part of the reason he died at 63. But I've not had any problem with drinking, saying no to drink. That's easy. I didn't drink. I just didn't drink. Now, the reason I didn't drink wasn't because I had any convictions about it, because I didn't even get saved till I was 22, being a rock and roll disc jockey, then a country western disc jockey. I was in the atmosphere to drink. But I didn't drink because I never had any alcohol that tasted even halfway decent. It's just nasty. I had a, guy, had a guy tell me, he said, Brother Allison, he says, if anybody 
ever tells you they drink because they, like the, they like the taste, you just call them a liar. He said, listen, I've been drinking for, I, I had been drinking for 42 years of my life. And he said, why is it? If they like the taste so much, every time they take that first drink, they go, ah! Why is that? It's nasty. You, t- you take beer. It's nothing but rotting hops. You're drinking garbage. By the way, I don't even drink Coca-Cola anymore. They tell me it's not good for me. Of course, it's not, obviously not like I'm a health nut or anything, but... Now, wait, I have other giants that I've had to face, but I thank God I've not had to face the alcohol giant. I've not had to face the smoking giant. I've just, those have never been a problem for me. I can look at them all day long and just say, no, I, no desire to take a taste whatsoever. Now, but there are other things I have to deal with. I'm saying that not necessarily are your problems the other guy's problem next to you. There are always some different things that are involved, and you've got to understand that. It's kind of like um, I was talking with Brother Palmer earlier today, and we were talking about poison ivy. This may start tomorrow. I hope not, but I have never had a case of poison ivy, and I'm a golfer. I've been in the woods. I've been in the woods a lot. Matter of fact, they don't mow where I golf. That's all. <laughs> but I've never had a case of poison ivy. It just doesn't, it doesn't affect me. I, I, other people have gone into the same woods. They've come out. Oh, no. Oh. Doesn't happen. All right. I've not had a case of poison oak either or anything like that. Huh? I understand. Brother Palmer told me you didn't have it till when? Weed eating. Mid-80s? You mean after you turned 80? No? Okay, the mid-80s? See, it could happen tomorrow. But see, that's just like this thing I mentioned about drinking and smoking with me. I don't have a problem with it. It's not that I could take it or leave it. I can easily just always leave it. But something could happen in my life. I started making wrong decisions where it could have an impact on me. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. We need to recognize that about ourselves. Oh, I preach, I'd never do that. You better be careful. Well, another thing about giants, yeah, not everybody faces the same giant. Not all giants are killed by the same person. But sometimes you need help to kill a giant. Abishai came in there and helped out David. He was faint. Now, it may be godly counsel and understand that you don't need someone who understands what you're feeling. You need somebody that knows how to fight the battle. There's a difference between the two. I think that this whole woke sissy mentality has infected the church people today. We feel like we deserve something better than ever having a problem. Well, listen to me. We belong to his army. There's battles to fight. And battles aren't fun. And we're playing. We're not playing with this enemy. And he's not playing with us. He's deadly serious. 
Be sober, be vigilant for your adversary. The devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You need someone who will tell you right. You need to help. You need help from a warrior who's fighting the battles and knows what they're talking about. And a lot of people don't want that. They just want somebody to commiserate with them. Somebody who understands me. Let me get back to the Job passage again. Job understood, I'm sorry, God understood Job very well. But he didn't sit there and commiserate with him. He took him right to the heart of the truth. Why? Because if he got the truth, what did Jesus say about truth? He shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So man, you need someone to direct you to the truth and in that there's the victory. A lot of counselors truly are no different than Job's three friends. By the way, this is the last point, but I want you to get it. Whatever giants you're facing, all giants can be defeated. You don't have to lose to any giant. Just like the giants that were in the land when Israel was thinking about coming in, here those ten, those ten spies, oh, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. We can't stand against these people. With God on your side, they can't stand. Do you realize that the words of those ten men did more to stop Israel and harm Israel and killed more people than all the spears and the chariots and the walls and the swords of all the armies of Canaan? couldn't have done what those words of those 10 people did. Better be careful who you listen to. Or you'll find yourself doing more damage to yourself. You see, God can do them all in. David, David was on God's side. God took care of it, brought Abishai. Thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an interesting thing. I read a story now, this goes back several years ago when doctors had offices where they, you know, would do things in the office. Matter of fact, there was a day, I know some of you, some of you remember it. There was a day when doctors actually came to your house. Matter of fact, it wasn't uncommon for doctors to actually birth the baby at home, get taken care of. But anyway, this lady and her husband had gone into a, a doctor's office in a city several years ago, and he was having a minor, uh, minor surgery that the doctor was doing with some kind of anesthesia. And there was a Christian businessman who had an office right across the hall from the doctor's office. And suddenly, this Christian businessman, he heard this tremendous commotion. I mean, there was screaming, there was wailing. He opened up his door and there was a woman who was just flailing about and screaming in absolute misery. And he asked, what happened? They said, well, she and and her husband just went into the doctor's office for a little surgery and, and evidently he had a reaction to the anesthesia and her husband died. And she just found out. And so... They asked if he could help at all, and so he went over to the lady, and uh, he tried to offer a little comfort. She just continued to carry on. And so finally, he said to her, Madam, 
Are you a Christian? And that question just kind of stopped her. She stopped flailing about for the moment. She looked up at him. It hit her like a bolt out of the blue. It awakened her conscience. And so he said to her, or she said to him, yes, I am. And he said to her, then be one now. She got up, went into the doctor's office, began making arrangements to get her husband's body taken care of. That didn't mean it stopped, that didn't mean it stopped hurting. But she recognized, in whatever situation comes into our lives, we ought to be one now. We're Christians. We respond differently. By the way, he tells us that in First Thessalonians, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 4, that we sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Our sorrow is different. We belong to God. Live like it. We're not ignorant about death. We know death comes. Isn't that right? We know tragedy comes. We know heartaches come. How should a Christian face it? Like a Christian. When giants come our way, issuing their taunts and their threats, if you're a believer, then respond like a believer is supposed to respond. And it'll always be right. God will help you through it. Let's pray. Father, we learned some lessons from these giants that face us. I fear that we have developed so much of this woke living And how it's all about feelings. And it's not about feelings. It's about right. God help us. When the giants come. To face them like Christians. Find the victories. Like Christians. To take the hardships. Like Christians. And we'll see the victory. Like Christians. For we ask it in Jesus name.